What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Thank you for joining us for this episode of 13. As always, we want to start by thanking our new patrons. Marina MDV, Bailey Bolin, Samantha Noft, Natasha O'Reilly, Sarah Elkins, and Barb Slansky. Thank you guys so much for your support. Our patrons get a lot more 13. Ad-free episodes, extra stories each month, including over two years' worth of extra episodes, updates on the show, merch, and access to a patron-only Discord server where you can chat about the show or whatever else is on your mind. Learn more at patreon.com slash 13pod. We'll put a link in the show notes. This month's story is titled, And the Mountain Was a Woman with Child, written by Josiah O. Knight. You'll remember Josiah as a voice actor on the show, and it's great to have him as a writer as well. We're also welcoming Brandon Sartain to the show. Brandon is currently on tour with Old Gods of Appalachia, and we owe the Old Gods team a big thank you for recommending him. All right, here we go. Turn down the lights. Are you ready? Here comes the show. Despite what national stereotypes and government-sponsored proco propaganda would have you believe, Appalachia isn't a terrible place to grow up. Sure, it has its poverty, the opioid epidemic, and a healthy dose of ignorance, but what cultural region intentionally repressed and exploited for its cheap labor and natural resources doesn't? The people there are old, and the mountains even older. Some of the most ancient landforms in the world. Sure, it's easy to see the mountains as a cage when you're an angsty teenager who knows everything, but now I like to think of them as more of a nest. A nest of brown paper bags filled with fruits and nuts at Christmas, and hollers so overgrown with kudzu vines that you'd swear the giant, lumbering shapes it formed were living sentinels of green. I grew up in one of those hollers. That's hollow for folks who don't have an accent. A narrow, winding valley between two mountains. I can even remember before the road was paved. A single lane of dirt and gravel, snaking its way from the crumbling ruins of a coal camp town at the mouth of the holler. Up and down sheer cliff faces with deadly drop-offs towards the wild, untamed head. That's where I lived, at the top of a mountain at the head of the holler. Yes, I lived in a cabin. Yes, I had six siblings. And stereotypes be damned, but yes, we got our water from a well, because for years the house didn't have plumbing. Life in that little cabin was trying. But God, it was perfect. Like so many of our neighbors, we were dirt poor. We had to grow and hunt most of our food. Summers were spent guiding the tender shoots of white half-runner beans along stakes of cane pole cut from the creek. Or brandishing a shovel to protect yourself from snakes as you trekked the mountain foraging for blackberries. It was a simple, tedious, disastrous, miraculous way of living. I didn't realize it then, But I was doing more than weeding and watering our garden. I was weeding and watering the very shape of my soul. 
So, yes, Appalachia has its troubles, but it has its beauty and its culture and thriving traditions because of and in spite of all of its issues. It's where I learned the value of a life. It's where I became who I am. And it's where I learned witchcraft. I know what you're thinking. Witchcraft in Appalachia, the land of brimstone and hellfire, Pentecostal tent revivals, where churches are built in the parking lots of other churches. Believe it or not though, witchcraft is a cultural staple. Every hillbilly knows a charm or two, and everyone has a story about their granny curing warts and allergies. Folks just called their little spells and rituals old wives' tales. And that made everything okay. With such a cutesy name, it lost any connection to Satan or midnight blood rituals or whatever. You could openly discuss and even trade charms anywhere you wanted. When it was just an old wives' tale. At the PTA meeting, the grocery store, and yes, even in church. Church is where I learned my first charms and hexes after all. Hogwarts, but make it Jesus. I didn't really relate to many kids my age. They were either too boring for me, or I was too serious for them. So I'd spend Sundays listening to aunts and grannies gossiping and trading recipes. Every now and then, I'd catch the telltale, eyes to the side, I shouldn't really be telling you this, but looks. And my ears would perk and burn. I was about to learn another spell. By the time I was 10 or 11, I already knew that you could cure a wart by stealing your neighbor's dish rag, that you could find underground water with two links of willow or hickory, and that putting a rusted shotgun in the creek pointed in the direction of your enemy would hex them with diarrhea. I'd pretend I wasn't listening, but the second I was home, I'd spend hours inscribing my collected snippets of the craft into my Lisa Frank notebook, right alongside the story of how in sixth grade, I dressed up as Nancy from the craft for my school's Halloween festival. How the boys took one look at my clumsy makeup and combined the cleverness and cruelty that only middle school boys are capable of to give me the nickname Eyeliner. How they had cornered me in the dark parking lot and chanted Eyeliner over and over like a slur, like a curse. By my senior year of high school, the world around me had slowly but steadily changed. A huge bypass connected my small town to Interstate 80. The through traffic saw the collapse of local culture and business as Dairy Queens and Walmart supercenters sprang up from the earth, like the teeth of a dragon planted in the soil. The ruins of the coal camp town in my holler were demolished, and the dirt road was paved over with sickly smelling blacktop. The next town over even elected an openly gay mayor and he was interviewed by Stephen Colbert. The coal was gone too. Entire mountains of dogwood white and redbud pink pillaged and plundered over decades for their riches, with nothing but heaps of dead earth and toxic runoff left as their gravestones. Mining companies pulled out in mass, leaving hardworking folks robbed of the health of their land and the double-edged sword of their income. That's when the opioids swept in. For the pharmaceutical companies, the out-of-work and restless miners were walking dollar signs. 
a new crop of grain to be milled into nothingness. The land was poisoned, a dying, rotting kingdom filled with walking corpses. And frankly, I didn't give a shit. I was 18, and as far as I knew, I was fucking brilliant. Over long hours and many, many failed attempts, I had reverse-engineered the basic principles of the old wives' tales. Sympathetic magic with ties to Germanic and Celtic traditions. Arcane hangers-on of the Scottish and Irish settlers who populated Appalachia in the early waves of European migration. But more than that, I knew what it took. What it was. How real magic was invoked and practiced. I dabbled in other practices in my pursuit of knowledge, but neo-paganism and Wicca weren't really my thing. The whole no personal gain and not harming others thing was a little too flower child for me. The old wives' tales had lit a candle in a dark room inside of me, and I saw that that room was a palace, and that I was a prince of night and air, and everything belonged to me. I was the goddamn witch king of Appalachia. I used my craft for the exact things you'd expect from a repressed gay kid in a high school of 300. My skin was flawless, my eyes a different color every day of the week. I wore sleek, high-end designer clothing. I was top of my class. It turns out, once you've seen behind the veil, the answers to AP calculus tests just sort of appear to you. But best of all, everyone loved me. I wasn't the kid who was called slurs anymore. The kid that everyone singled out for being gay before they knew themselves or knew why it even mattered? No. I was loved. Praised. Crowds parted as I walked from English to my throne in the cafeteria. People threw themselves at me for the privilege of sitting at my table. Everyone. Everyone except... Move it, eyeliner. Vance. In the cruel high school movie logic of it all, Vance was the captain of the football team and simultaneously the hottest and dumbest guy in school. And I wanted him. In fact, Vance was the only person I wanted. The only person I wanted to be obsessed with me. The Witch King needed a consort after all. And yet the only man I had eyes for was seemingly immune to my spells. It was a metaphysical game of hard to get. And that only made me want him all the more. The peasants are out in droves today. Did you re-up the popularity spell or something? Please. You know my spells are a precise instrument. These idiots just can't get enough of me. That's all. Exactly as intended. Aaron was my only actual, not under a spell, honest-to-goodness friend. She was the only person who stood up for me at middle school when the boys were relentless. We were nerds and more than a little pretentious. And something about that drew us together. We'd hang out writing friend fiction about all of the people we liked and hated in our class, casting ourselves as superheroes and our bullies as unloved evil villains to be vanquished. All it took was Aaron writing a story about us as witches for the, wait, you like witches? Conversation. And the rest just sort of fell into place. So, favor, I need help with the money spell. My mom says she can't spot me. I can't afford the trip otherwise. No worries. I have all the stuff. We'll do it at work. Love you, bitch. Love you, bitch. 
Erin was a good friend. And she had some skills with the craft, but she honestly sucked at being a witch. I tried to explain to her that all of the charms and rituals, all of the candles and bells and dirt, they're just metaphors. The real power comes from somewhere else. It's hard to explain, but when I'm working a spell and I feel it, when I know it's going to take, I think of the holler, cane pole by the creek, the shapes kudzu makes when it takes over a hillside. She's had some success. I mean, she's worked some decent magic. But lately, she's needed my help more and more often. Y'all coming to the game tonight? Alright, now when I do like this and point up the stands, <laughs> that's for you. Jesus Christ, I cannot believe a flesh and blood human being actually talks like that. I don't know. It gives him this sexy, village idiot kind of vibe. I vomit in your general direction, but go off. I'm guessing it's a no-go on the latest love spell? I don't know what the problem is. It's like he's got some kind of magical Faraday cage around him. I even stole some of his hair for the last spell, but that could have just been a random locker room cube. Again, I vomit. Alright, I've got to get to my Spanish test. Do you have the thing? Just rub this oil on your eyelids right before class. It shouldn't take long to work. Love you, bitch. See you at work. Love you, bitch. Aaron and I worked together after school at the local community college library. It was technically a work-study position, but her older sister worked in admin, and with a little magical coercion, we had the easiest part-time jobs in town. We chose that job because the stacks of the library were tucked away, and frankly, no one ever ventured down there. We turned the stacks into our own little arcane workshop, and plied our magic in full confidence that no enterprising community college student would ever interrupt us. Erin was running late as usual, which she considered one of her more quirky endearments. I busied myself setting up the money spell as I waited. Dragging over a flimsy folding table, I laid out a stark white handkerchief embroidered with three red crosses in each of the corners and poured a small jar of dirt from a local graveyard in the center. I drew a circle of salt around the whole thing and arranged three green candles in a triangle just outside the circle. Very basic invocation, really, but tricky nonetheless. Sorry I'm late. Did you give me the wrong oil by mistake? It didn't help with my test, like, at all. Oh shit, really? No, that was the right stuff. Did you... Three clockwise circles on the right eyelid, three counterclockwise circles on the left eyelid. All it did was make my face smell like rosemary. Fuck, I'm sorry. I was just really distracted last night, so I probably just flubbed the spell. I didn't. I don't flub spells. The spell I gave Aaron should have worked. It was one of the easiest charms I knew. A flash of dead trees strangled by kudzu flashed in my mind. I shook it off and nudged the candles around until I was satisfied with their arrangement. Don't worry about it. You can just make it up to me by really juicing up this money spell. Is it ready? Just about. It just needs one last thing. A piece of coal from the abandoned mine in my holler, the symbol of Appalachian wealth and power. I placed it on the mound of dirt and joined hands with Aaron. You ready? Make me a billionaire, motherfucker. I spoke a word, and the air around us changed. 
broke. Color slipped away, and the sensation of unseen doors opening miles above and below us filled my veins with possibility. The candles blazed to life of their own accord, and the room pulsed with green, like the spectral tail of a comet burning copper across the night sky. Palm, another word, and a vibration like the voice of the earth itself rattled the bones of my skull, punctuated by deep thrums of ear-shattering, absolute silence. Atuan, another word, and something was off. I saw a mountain, and the mountain was a woman with child. The child thrashed in her womb. The stone of the mother's flesh stretched to bursting. The woman was attended by kudzu-wreathed trees, and the trees were her king's guard, swinging swords of flowing creeks to protect their mistress. The mountain grabbed their swords and pierced her belly and outflowed her child. Bile and poison and ichor and the land was blighted at the touch of its corpse. Something's wrong. I blew out the candles, and for several long, ragged breaths, all was dark. The only movement was the sweat that pulled across my brow and spilled down my nose. The fluorescent lights overhead buzzed to life and roused themselves from slumber. I was still holding Aaron's hand, grasping it, clawing it, five points of blood trailing down her cold and colorless skin. Her eyes were zeroed in on the table, her lips trembling with unspoken words. Aaron? What the fuck? Look! My spine chilled, and the hairs on my neck raised. I didn't want to look, but something took hold in me, told me I had to. The candles had melted down to stumpy puddles, the salt and handkerchief burnt away to soot. In the center of the thin and bitter smoke, the graveyard dirt had formed the silhouette of a skull. The coal had become molten and spilled from its mouth like tarry blood. Aaron didn't come to school at all the next week. She wouldn't answer my calls or emails either, so I decided to let her have her space. She was freaked out, and I understood why. I didn't know if she experienced the same vision I had, but even I needed a few days off from witchcraft. I decided to take a page from Wicca and recenter myself in nature. Down the ridge from the mountain I lived on was a flat shelf on the ridge line with a small pond. It was a hot enough early autumn that the pond was still speckled with water lilies and wreathed in a crown of slowly withering blackberry briars. It was a decently known spot, so someone had thrown together a little bench with scrap lumber. I lay down on the bench, staring up at the sun and shadows filtering down from the canopy of leaves, their strange geometry lulling me into a trance-like sense of ease. I drifted into a sort of half-sleep. I wasn't really conscious or dreaming. I could feel the hot autumn sun blazing on one side of my face, the deep cool shadows of beech trees on the other, cicadas singing out from all around. Maybe the Wiccans were onto something with the whole nature is a sanctuary thing, because for the first time since my vision, I felt peace. I was awake with my eyes closed for several minutes before I realized someone was with me. 
I set up with a start. Sorry. <laughs> eh, it's okay. You just caught me off guard. I guess this spot was a little more well-known than I realized. Vance sat at the opposite end of the bench, baiting a fishing pole from a tackle box covered in UK Wildcat stickers. Jerky? Uh, sure. He offered me a half-eaten Ziploc bag of jerky. Venison. Homemade. It was good. Really good. So, I guess you know about this place? I come out here to be alone, sometimes. It's a good place to think. Yeah, it's nice. I live down the ridge, so I've been coming here since I was a kid. <laughs> Me too. My mamma lives over on the point, out that way. No kidding. Is your mamma Geraldine Farley? Yeah, that's her. You know they say she's a witch? Yeah, you know, I've heard that too. I mean, she's mean as shit and spooky as hell, so I believe it. Hell, she made me this creepy-ass thing. He reached into his shirt and pulled out a small drawstring pouch tied around his neck. I swallowed in disbelief. So there was a magical Faraday cage around him. The spellwork was clunky and not very sophisticated, but it was solid. It was some real, bona fide old wives' tale shit. Oh, wow, what is that? I had bad asthma as a kid. It's supposed to protect me from ailments or something. Wrong. It was a counter charm. It protected him from witches, not respiratory inflammation. Mamma Geraldine must have had a few enemies who knew hexes of their own. I knew if I could get it off him, he was mine. But the spell work was really jammed in there, like filling a pilot hole with metal shavings before drilling in a screw. Hey, you know my friend Erin? She's into occult shit, so maybe I could give it to her? You know, take it off your hands? Erin is. She never told me any of that. You're friends with Erin? Not really friends, you know. Yeah, I gotcha. How long have you been? Beginning of junior year, maybe? She does that tutoring thing in last period, and we got paired up a few times and just clicked. Oh, that's awesome. Well, hey, I gotta get going. Yeah, 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 no, no worries. Hey, and next time you talk to Aaron, you tell her I'm sorry? Sorry about what? You know, about her dad dying. Vance turned to me, tarry coal-black blood spilling from his eyes. The world rang out supersonic, and the pond raged into a frothing cauldron. Vance ascended and hung suspended in the air before me, ichor rolling down his face and onto mine, scalding and flaying my flesh. Hey man, you good? Reality rushed on me like a plunge into cold water. Vance stood over me, something not quite like concern on his face. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm good. It just... Stood up too fast is all. I made my way down the ridge before turning back. Hey, why can't we talk like this at school? Later, eyeliner. And that was his answer. As simple and complicated as that. 
I'm not really a crier. Not that I don't cry, but only in a few easily controlled situations. Like listening to Judy Garland's Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Or when someone gives a really rousing speech in a movie. Music and movies make me cry. People do not. I don't let them. But right now, I cried. I was more confused than sad or heartbroken or betrayed. I just kept asking, why? Why would Aaron do this? Why would she not tell me? I gave her everything. Power, beauty, knowledge. She knew what I was capable of. Was that it? Was she afraid of me? Or had she been using me all along? We both knew she was a chicken shit witch who needed training wheels for even a simple eye color glamour spell. The only thing she'd been able to manage on her own were wards and protective charms. And then it hit me. Mamaw Geraldine's witch bag might have been for Vance's asthma, but the cruder, rougher magic on top, the counter charm that kept my spells off of Vance, that had Aaron's name written all over it. I stopped crying in an instant, tears still wet on my hardened face. If Aaron had been using me, her supply was about to run dry. Love you, bitch. The next week, Aaron finally came back to school. Kids hung back from her more than usual and whispered in huddles with furrowed, pitiful faces. I didn't want her to suspect anything, so I greeted her as usual. Plus, her dad literally died and I'm not a monster. Not completely. Not to her. Hey, I heard about your dad. I'm so sorry. Love you, bitch. Love you, bitch. And thanks. They're saying it was a fentanyl overdose. After he got laid off from the mine and hurt his leg, he started taking them for the pain. I guess we didn't know it was just bad. It was getting really bad. Shit. I'm sorry. If I would have known, I could have worked a spell and maybe... No. No, it's fine. Even I didn't know exactly what was going on. And who knows how the magic would have actually worked. Lately, it never does what it's supposed to do. Yeah, tell me about it. The Vance of it all has me questioning if I'm even a witch or... God, can you not bring up Vance? What? Aaron, it was a joke. No, it fucking wasn't. God, you are so self-centered. You know, at first I bought into the popularity spells because I thought it was moral. Well, moral adjacent at least. I thought, oh, a queer man using his own power to make the world around him a little less shitty. But that's not what it's about for you, is it? You're so bored with the world around you, yet so, so, so fucking dependent on its validation. That's why you're obsessed with Vance. He's the one person that doesn't throw himself at your feet, and it drives you crazy. Can we not talk about this here? It sounded pathetic, because it was. And it was pathetic because Aaron had never confronted me, ever. There was no irony in her words, no mockery, only the cruel truth, the reality of the situation, the vance of it all. 
For the first time, I was slapped in the face with the secret hidden in my soul. The scribbled last page torn from a Lisa Frank notebook. Your spell worked, by the way. Life insurance policy. Mom is splitting it with me. So, you know, thanks for killing my dad. Your spell worked too, you know. Maybe you should go find Vance so you can fuck the pain away. Shit. I don't know why I said that. Aaron was my friend. My best friend. I knew my craft was responsible for her dad. But my anger was on autopilot. A bitter ember stinking in the furnace of my soul. Every drop of color drained from her face. It instantly contorted into a vision of hatred. Aaron pointed a finger at me and began to mouth a word. Lights flickered and the halls filled with a hissing static sound at the first syllable of her intonation. My hair raised as her spell pulled in ambient magic, like the tides beckoned by the call of the moon. With a slashing gesture, I choked out the word in her throat. I leaned in and whispered in her ear, her breath sputtering hot and angry on my neck. Literally, shut the fuck up, Aaron. You wouldn't know real power if it was a pile of shit and someone pushed you in. Good luck with your spells when your roots start growing in. I marched straight into the boys' locker room and up to Vance. The witch bag hung around his bare chest, still dripping wet from his recent shower. I yanked it from his neck with a snap and stormed from the locker room like a vengeful harpy, a wicked witch on her smoking broom. Tonight would be the night. Tonight, I would make him mine. I decided to raise my altar on an old strip mining site near my holler. The mountaintop had been completely removed, and now all that stood was a barren, shrubby mesa of rock. From there, I could see out for miles all around, with nothing but a sea of knee-high brown grasses to break up the view. A lone deer stalked around the edge of the plateau, never letting me leave its round, watery eyes. I couldn't shake the feeling that it was watching me, spying on me, as if saying, tread carefully, little witch. I watched that deer, its sickly, fly-swarmed eyes, watching me, watching back, entranced for what must have been hours before I realized I couldn't move. I tried to twitch my fingers, to gesture for a charm. Nothing. My legs were as useless as stone. I wasn't even breathing. I screamed, and though no sound was produced, adrenaline and cortisol flooded my veins. I was trapped inside my own body, my spirit and soul thrashing around the cage of my own ribs. Was this a hex? Had someone or something turned their witchcraft against me? Or was this my own magic, warning me that if I carried out my intentions, there was no coming back? If I used my craft to make Vance love me, against his own free will, that would be an act of violation, of evil. Did I truly care about my own need for validation so much? For that hurting little boy all alone inside of me? Was I truly willing to go through with such black magic to keep that little boy from crying? Was I ready to live my life as a monster, to heal the past? 
Air came rushing back into my lungs. I collapsed, sputtering, muscles and limbs tense as steel cables. After I regained my composure, I stood. The deer was gone. In its place stood a little boy. Me. He wore clumsily applied eyeliner, and his face was streaked with tears and shameful lines of smudged black makeup. I watched the ghost of my childhood self fall to the ground as if shoved, watched him double over in pain as the thuds of unseen boots kicked his stomach over and over and over. I watched as his head snapped backwards and reflexively pressed a hand against my own scarred eyebrow. My ghost locked eyes with me through tears and blood and gas station eyeliner and smiled. He vanished. I sucked down ragged, heaving breaths that did nothing to stabilize my light head or swimming vision. I wasn't sure if this episode was a curse conjured by another witch, if Aaron even had that kind of power, or if it was my subconscious, but I threw on Vance's witch bag just in case. I left the mountaintop without casting any spells against Vance, and I made my way home. I felt hollow mostly, and mournful. I wanted to run to that little boy, to scoop him up in my arms, and tell him that everything was going to be okay, that he wasn't an abomination, that he wasn't going to hell. I started to speak comfort to him, before my mind even processed the words. It was mostly unintelligible anyways, because I was sobbing now, truly gut-heaving, ugly crying. By the time I made it home, I was exhausted, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. But laying there in my bed, despite not being able to muster the energy to even roll over or pull up my blankets, I was content. I was at peace. My dreams that night were anything but peaceful. I saw the blighted corpse child of the mountain who was a woman, and its attendants were men. No, the husks of men, carrying ancient mining tools crafted of coal. They drove their tools into its rotting body and carried pieces of it away in vessels, which they poured into creeks and streams that were veins and arteries flowing out to an endless ring of mother mountains. The men ate of an unholy fruit offered to them by the corpse child, and though it poisoned them, they were euphoric and continued on their task. A never-ending procession of husks passing on vessel after vessel of ichor. The creeks ran black now, and the earth shattered as the ring of mountain mothers cried out in despair. For each mother, a pair of kudzu tree king's guards approached with their swords cutting blighted children from blighted wounds. Beyond that ring of mother mountains was another and another and another. All the land was blackened, blighted, plagued. In its center, the corpse child gathered itself up into eternity and spilled its body across the shells of dead mothers and rotting men. I bolted up, plastered to my bed in tepid sweat. My mind was reeling and panicked, 
and I could feel traces of magic hanging in the air. Twisted magic. Corrupted charms that burnt my nostrils and lungs with the scent of coal fire smoke. I tried to gather the threads of the spells and follow them to their origin, but they just kept looping around and alerting me to... to myself. One of them felt familiar. A love spell. Only something had polluted it. Turned it into obsession. Each time, I pulled it closer to get a better read on it. The image of blighted mountains and rotting creeks flashed in my mind, blinding me, numbing me with ear-splitting metallic feedback. I gave up on deciphering the web of charms and pulled open my window for some fresh air. It was only an instant, but I swore I saw him there in the tree line, stark and shadowed by cold moonlight. Vance. And he was staring right at me. The next morning before school, I dismantled as many spells as I could. Little things, like clamors and illusions I kept on myself. I also undid every spell I maintained for Erin. She'd be even more pissed, but my intuition said it was the right thing to do. Some of my spells, though, the really big ones, like the spells of popularity and acceptance, were bound to the land itself. If my dreams and visions were any indication, drawing on dying poison mountains to power my craft was the reason my spells had been going haywire. It all rushed on me in sobering clarity. At first it was small things. Aaron was less and less successful at casting, which I brushed off as her being a chicken shit witch. Then my minor charms turned to snake oil. And then, Aaron's dad. How could I have been so stupid? So arrogant to think it had been my power all along. I'd been using the mountains the same way Aaron had been using me. And now that Vance didn't have his witch bag, I shuddered and prayed to any god or spirit that would listen that my spells hadn't rebounded on him. They were the biggest magic I'd ever worked. I'd gone beyond Praxis to bind them to, well, everything. The mountains, the creeks, the innumerable kudzu vines, the dogwood and redbud. Those spells were practically divine commandment, now corrupted by the dying mountains that sustained them. It was worse than I'd imagined. People at school literally threw themselves at my feet, prostrating and crying out for their beloved witch king. Teachers and students alike sobbed in ecstasy at merely being in my presence. Aaron found me immediately, tossing the bewitched thralls aside, clawing at them to get to me. She looked, well, she looked like shit. What the hell did you do? I undid basically all of my spells. Listen, we need to Fix find- Fix them right goddamn now. Aaron, listen. Does it make you feel big and powerful to see me like this? Listen, we need to find Vance, now. Why? So you can make him another one of your zombies? Aaron, I need you to help me make this all right. You can hate me later if that's what you need, but right now, I need you by my side. Can you please help me? I couldn't read her expression, but her eyes bored into mine. I thought she might punch me. She jolted forward, and I recoiled in fear. Her arms wrapped around me and squeezed. A hug. 
We stood there embracing in a roiling sea of bewitched teenagers. Something passed between us. We knew that we were going to carry those scars for the rest of our lives. But something smaller passed as well, nestled in the very heart of our embrace. Understanding. Forgiveness. Acceptance. We were both monsters. Witches who twisted will and reality for our own delights. But maybe, together. We need to find Vance. I heard a few people say he was holed up in the locker room. They said he was covered in blood. So it had happened. My old spells had slithered out of the aether and coiled themselves around Vance. My throat burned with bile and anticipation. I had no way of knowing just how corrupted the spells had left him. But this was my burden now. My sin to atone for. I was done with running. With hiding behind my illusions and hexes. Today was the day the Witch King restored order to his kingdom. And abdicated the throne. The door to the locker room was smeared with a bloody handprint. Above it, a valentine's heart had been painted in the very same blood. Crowned with the wish, Vance plus Isaac. Forever. The bewitched students stampeded after us, pressing themselves together, straining for air and the chance to get closer to me. I turned to Aaron. This is your cue. What are you talking about? I need you to keep them from following me and getting themselves hurt. How am I supposed to stop them? Come on. We both know that your wards and protective charms are fucking incredible. I know you can throw up a barrier. I'm scared. Me too. But hey, this is just like those stories we wrote in middle school, remember? We're saving the day. We're the heroes. We literally caused all of this. Okay, we're hero adjacent. We fucked up and we're making things right. Just, like, believe in yourself. Okay, well, this isn't a movie. But yeah, go find Vance. I've got this. And hey, love you, bitch. No, fuck that sarcasm wrapped in ironic bullshit. I love you, Isaac. I love you, Aaron. As I turned and threw open the door to the locker room, I felt a surge in the air. Aaron's hair flew wild in ghost winds, and I heard her intone. I am the wall that breaches wilderness and darkness. Come, O stars, and come, O moon. Adorn my shield for battle. Behold my mighty fortress, where I sit upon a throne of splendor. Light refracted around her, too brilliant to behold. For a moment, I saw her as a war queen, beautiful and terrifying, raising a shield the size of a mountain. The spell took, and the voices of the bewitched students became muffled behind the glimmering wall of Aaron's barrier. I'd been so wrong about Aaron's witchcraft. This was the most beautiful magic I'd ever seen. The locker room was nearly pitch black. A single emergency light flickered like a dying animal. 
the smell of fresh blood intermingling with the odor of stale sweat and mildewing gym towels. I could feel magic. Big magic. Old and dark and angry and confused. My spells were there, but wreathed in something dangerous. A wild animal backed into a corner. My mind flared with visions of the corpse child, cut from the womb of the mother mountain. Do you see them too? The mother, and the child, and the poison? Vance? I... I can't see where you are. Come over here for a second. I brought you a gift. Thought you'd like it. I just want to make you happy. It's all I can think about. You are so special to me. Vance? Where are you? In the flickers of the emergency light, I saw Vance far across the room in the showers. A flicker later and he was directly in front of me, less than a foot away. There was something wrong with him. Something not quite human. His eyes were milky and wept over with veins of coal black blood. His head jerked uneasily on his neck, like a bird of prey on the hunt. He held something wet and dripping in his hand. I could smell the hot, gamey tang of blood. Here, it's for you. I remembered you liked my jerky, so I thought you'd like this too. He gave me his gift, the heart of a deer, still steaming with the heat of its lifeblood. Vance looked at me so expectantly, so reverently, so desperately. His shadow was impossibly long behind him and moved out of sync with the rest of his body. I... I love it. Thanks, Vance. <laughs> he let out a breath of disbelief, which rose into a shuddering giggle and crescendoed into a manic howl that stained my very soul. He spun into a wild dance of ecstasy, and dancing all about him were the shadows of the corpse child and its huskmen attendants. He collapsed to the floor with a sigh of glee, before immediately pulling at his hair and screaming out, You did this to me. The child tells me everything. It's okay. It's okay. We're together now. And when I cut out our hearts <laughs> and put them together, we'll never be apart again. Won't that be wonderful? Oh my god. What have I done? I wanted it to stop. I wanted it to end. I wanted to wake up and be a little boy taking a nap on my mother's lap. I wanted to scream. Wanted my vocal cords to tear in my throat and choke me on blood so I could die. Fuck, fuck, fuck! I was too stunned to say anything, but that sounds so nice, Vance. I knew you'd say that. I knew you'd make it stop. Make it stop. 
He sobbed, and it wasn't the cry of a monster. It was the plea of a scared little boy asking for help. A little kid that I hurt because I was a scared little kid. I'm sorry I did this to you, Vance. I've been, I am, a huge, selfish asshole. I was so caught up in trying to heal myself with power and love that I didn't see how fucked up I really was. I don't know how to make it stop, but I have something that might help a little until I can figure out a real solution. Moving slowly, I set down the deer's heart and dug out his mamaw's witch bag. I edged up to him, palms out, like I was creeping near a wounded bear. With a nod and a sob, he indicated that it was okay. I slipped the bag around his neck. He cried out in the voice of a mother and child in despair, in the voice of a land poisoned by a people poisoned against it, in a pulse of black flame that stunk of coal fumes. I was flung back against a wall. Everything went black. When I woke up, Vance was gone. It's been 13 years since I graduated high school. Aaron and I keep in touch, but it's never been the same. Every year, we travel back to our hometown and undo our remaining spells little by little. Soon our classmates won't hide their children from us. The monster their parents still fear, but can't remember why. Every year I say we should get coffee or have dinner, and Aaron says, Yeah, we should. That would be nice. I'll text you sometime. It's her way of saying, I love you, but I just can't. And I understand. I know that she's built a good life for herself, without witchcraft or hexes, but her own power. Maybe she still has one last spell still running, a barrier around her heart, a ward to hedge me out. And she'd be right. I'm just a reminder of the darkness we're both capable of. I hardly recognize my little Appalachian hometown now. Several of my classmates moved back home after college and helped the town go through its own little renaissance. There are locally owned bookstores and coffee shops, and they even put on little plays in the park downtown. It's not much, but it's something real. It's something to hold on to when the erosion from mining is so bad that floods devastate eastern Kentucky, when the rest of the country flocks to Twitter to say, they deserve this. This is what the hillbillies voted for. Like the bells and candles of a spell. It's a metaphor. Appalachia is resilient, and its people will always find a way. I haven't forgotten about Vance, or my responsibility to him either, and Vance hasn't forgotten me. Every year, on the anniversary of his disappearance, he leaves me a gift, a little reminder, a deer's heart, placed lovingly on my doorstep, a little parcel of life saying, remember, you promised to help me. Help me, or we'll be together forever.
Thank you for joining us for this episode of 13. If you like what you heard, stop what you're doing and leave a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. This month's story was, And the Mountain Was a Woman with Child, written and narrated by Josiah O. Knight. Aaron was Bridget Howard. Vance was Brandon Sartain. Music editing and sound design by Kayla Britchie. Assistance from Brooke Jeanette and Ian Epperson. Our producer-level patrons are Rick Linville, Tattooed Fox, Rhiannon, Sean Geary, Anthony Diaz, Jackie Kay, Delta Tango, Chantel Payne, Nick, Emily Douglas, Stephanie Klinger, and Jake R. Thank you guys so much for your support. Click the link in the show notes to learn more about joining us on Patreon. If you want to check us out on social media, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok under Pod13. And you can join the Facebook group for 13 Podcast. Just look for the logo, and you'll find links in the show notes. If you'd like to submit a story to be performed on the show, or if you'd like to contact us about anything else, get in touch at info at 13podcast.com. You'll find submission guidelines and other info on our website, 13podcast.com. Bridget Howard is getting married in a few days. Congrats, Bridget. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next month. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.